You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey Dave, how are you doing today? Not bad, Nick. How are you? Fantastic. Always. You're always Beautiful, stormy day here in April. April showers are a real thing this year, apparently. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but it's warm and, uh, out, so yeah. I'm not complaining at all. <laughs> Unseasonably warm, and uh, we'll see uh, if we make it through this without an internet interruption on the account of the lightning I'm hearing, or thunder I'm hearing in the background. That's right. So today's episode, Dave, we've got kind of an interesting little case study, if you will, on a couple of MSU professors. And we're just going to kind of take a look at some of the common scenarios that come up in a case like this when we're um, helping people kind of create their financial plan and talk through some different scenarios and how to think about them. Yeah, this is, it's kind of a composite of some folks that we've met with over the last couple of years, just to uh, kind of help people get a general feel for how we look at things and how we uh, string a plan together. Yeah, I think it's a good way to look at it because a lot of these questions, a lot of these things that come up, come up quite often. And so, you know, like we say, there's no, like... There's no firm answers of exactly what you should do in these scenarios, but there's certainly some ways to think about these things that will hopefully help guide our listeners if they have similar questions in their own personal scenarios. So with that build up, Dave, what are we talking, what are we, uh, give us, give us the scenario. So, so the scenario is we're working with two married um, professors from Michigan State University. And uh, we've got Dr. John Doe, who is 45 years old, and Dr. Jane Doe, who is 43 years old. And they've got two kids, Jimmy, who's in high school, age 15, and Susie, who's 12. Love it. So they've come to us with some pretty typical concerns for what we hear from people when they're first coming in for financial planning with, you know, the first thing being, you know, they know they should be balancing college savings and retirement savings, but they don't have a fee. They don't feel like they're doing a good job of either one. Like they're, they have just no idea if, if what they're doing from, from their paycheck into the retirement plan and, um, savings for college is, is enough or too much or how to, how to scale that. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a common one, not just college, but just kind of in general around the lines of like, how do you find out, if you're on track, right? Like there's so much information out there on the internet right now. You know, you can easily Mm -hmm. dive down a rabbit hole and get 78 different answers. And so a lot of times I think what happens because there's so much information out there, we just kind of look next door and maybe see what our neighbors are doing or, you know, and that's not always the best approach. But frankly, it's usually the worst approach. Yeah, right. The whole benchmark idea how am I doing compared to my neighbor has very little relevance to how you're actually doing retirement planning. Right. Yeah. For so, sure. so some other concerns to kind of go with those, John would, John would like to work until a normal retirement age, which usually means mid sixties, mm-hmm. but Jane would, would like to have a little more flexibility sooner and younger just based on, you know, how she feels about her job and, and what she's done so far, but they worry about whether, that's even feasible. You know, do they both have to work till they're 65? Do they both have to work till they're 70? Is it feasible for one of them to step back earlier? How would that look? Another 
interesting one that comes up a lot just from the standpoint of, I think a lot of people feel like they have to retire together. And that's, yeah. you know, not <laughs> always own. the best scenario or the best case and not, and not always true. Right, right. It's often better for one spouse to retire first and get settled and then the other, not for financial reasons so much as psychological reasons. And uh, our old partner and mentor, Beth, would, uh, I, I remember hearing her forbid people to retire at the same time. People <laughs> she knew well, like, no, no, you're going to let John retire for six months and then, then it'll be your turn. But let's figure that out first. But anyway. That sounds like Beth. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> they would also, you know, their goal is to pay for an in-state education for each of their children if they can. That would be their mm-hmm. goal. And, you know, it's pretty common when we're working with college faculty that education is kind of a priority in a way it, it really isn't. It, it's a stronger priority, a stronger preference than it sometimes is with, with other folks. And, the, you know, the other thing that I'll add to the whole college education piece for MSU faculty and staff for that mm-hmm. matter is there's a hometown discount mm-hmm. and that doesn't always play out well in the dynamics of you want your kid to go off and you know experience things on their own but also it's way cheaper for them to go to Michigan State so figuring out and having that discussion and dynamic and how to plan for you know both of those because a lot I feel like a lot of people their kids end up not going to Michigan State even though there is a discount involved you know, in, in this scenario, they own their own home in East Lansing and they refinanced it a few years ago. It's important to John that they be out of debt before they retire. Mm. And, and that's a common thing we hear from people. There's also, you know, concerns over insurance coverage uh, with young kids at home. And just in general, John and Jane feel like they should have more money they should have more savings. They get paid well, but there never seems to be any money in the savings account at the end of the month. It's interesting. And as we kind of go through this case, but I, f- that's, I feel like a lot of people, even people who are good savers, kind of feel like they don't have as much money as maybe they should. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And I think that's just the lack of confidence a little bit, but also of like, knowing where you stand, right? Right. Knowing like right. how close you are or are you, are you on track or not for your goals can go a long way once you figure that out to your confidence of what you kind of have in terms of cash flow, right? So just a couple of facts for background that we made up to um, help uh, drive our, our thought process here as we're helping uh, John and Jane. They're each putting the mandatory 5% into their MSU retirement plan right now, which means they also get a 10% match from the university. They're also doing $200 per month each for Jimmy and Susie into 529 plan accounts mm-hmm. for college. And their mortgage was created in 2020. They refinanced in 2020 and got that one of those really good rates we were seeing in 2020. They're at 3% for a 30-year mortgage. Mm-hmm. The $300,000 balance, which comes out to a payment of just under $1,250 a month. But right now, John, you know, to meet that goal of his of paying off the mortgage before retirement is actually paying $2,500 a month. All right. So, so how do we tackle this? Yeah, those are the facts. So 
Our approach then, and I and I love that you put this first in our little layout here because that's exactly how we hey. would tackle it. And that is, yeah. we've got all these facts, we've got all these concerns, but mm-hmm. what matters more than anything is figuring out and working through your life plan, figuring out what's most important to you, what do you value most, what do you want to get out of the short amount of time you have on this earth. Once we figure that out, then we can kind of start to figure out how do we put the pieces together, right? So we can have that conversation about retirement target dates and priorities, right? We can have that conversation Mm -hmm. around what you want to provide for the kids because that's not always equal in terms of the college goal, right? Like how much do you want to provide? How much do you want them to provide? And what are the... Are there restraints on that, right? Are we talking any college in the in the US or even internationally? Are we talking yeah. local in state? And have you had that conversation with your kids of what that looks like? And, and and those answers can be all over the place. You know, I've had I've had Michigan State faculty clients who had a a child that had no interest in going to MSU, really wanted to go to um, a small private school out of state. And for her parents, that was worth it. And they were willing to take on some debt themselves to make it happen. Whereas I've had others that have said, you know, I'm willing to pay what I would pay if they went to Michigan State. Mm -hmm. And they'll need to fund the rest. Yeah. And And, I've seen answers all in the middle too. Yeah. And that, uh, part of what I love about our job is that it's always different. And then oh, yeah. you, know, you, you, you want to relate that to what your values are, right? Like right. education is important to you and it's a, your number one priority to provide your kids education wherever they want to go. That's great. But that's right. not going to be everybody's, right? And so having that conversation with all the involved parties and figuring that out goes a long way to make sure that what you're doing on the front end matches what's most important to you, right? So I think that's a a huge step in in trying to figure that out is figuring out what your values are and what's most important to you and then backing into it from there. And we do that through, you know, our life planning process of really kind of distilling things down, figuring out all the things out there that are important to you and then prioritizing them from a step-by-step basis to say, hey, our number one priority is this, number two, Mm -hmm. number three, and then from the financial side, we can kind of work things in, right? And I have right. yet to do this, Dave, where somebody said my number one goal is to build as much wealth as possible, right? <laughs> right. That, that's <laughs> Which is usually, unfortunate because that's an easy answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, and they might say that at the beginning of the process, but they're not going to say it by the end. That's right. That's right. So, <laughs> um, so then, you know, once once we've kind of worked through the broad strokes goal setting, you know, then it's, then it's a matter of, of us in the background, then, you know, putting all of this information into our meat grinder, um, financial planning software. And then we can work through scenarios and actually show the, the trade-offs with money and how to match those up to those goals and, and values. Yeah, absolutely. So we usually will run a Monte Carlo projection to make sure that we're on pace as far as what we're saving for retirement and education, and then look through and see what kind of gaps we have. It will help us analyze, do we need more for education, less for retirement? How does that all play into it? 
what are the taxes of that? So there's a lot that kind of goes into those discussions um, and what we want to see as kind of the outcomes. But it's a great way to kind of start to look at moving the pieces around a little bit, right? Like, here's what it looks like if you save more for college versus retirement or put more towards paying off your mortgage versus less. And so it really kind of gives us the tools to look at things in real time and look at how it changes and affects outcomes over the long term. We didn't, I, we didn't make up 403B balances for Jane and John as we're we don't need to get into the the nuts and bolts of what we would actually recommend for them. But, you know, when we start looking at the trade-offs, you know, maybe they need to increase, you know, when, once we've kind of figured out, yes, you know, Jane can retire at 60 and John can work till 65. And, 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 you know, with what we think they need to spend that works out well, well, then maybe, maybe they need to bump up the retirement savings two or 3% a year between now and then, and maybe to meet their college goals, they need to, we need to try to come up with another hundred dollars a month for each child, you know, we, but we can, we can take those goals and values and kind of distill them down to here's what you would need to do to make this work, figure out what the obstacles are and how we get around those. Yeah. Well, and especially when we're talking about the retirement college savings trade off, right? Like, we can then go in and run, okay, if your kid wants to go to private school and you want to pay for it, here's what it looks like. But that also means that you end up having to work an extra two years. You can't retire at 63. You got to wait until 65. Is that trade-off worth it to you, right? Like those are the real lifetime decisions of moving stuff around that I think really help people think about what's most important to them. For some people, that trade-off might be worth it. For other people, it might not. And But really seeing how those decisions affect things in the long term mm-hmm. helps you get an understanding of what's more important to you and what you want to see happen. And then, so once we've got that all kind of baked down to a scenario that the client's comfortable with, then we try to break it, right? And for young couples, and as, as we expressed at the beginning, John and Jane are worried about their insurance coverage. But for younger clients that then also have kids at home still, you know, that insurance conversation can be a pretty important one. We can look at, you know, how they're, how they're currently covered. You know, most, most folks are going to have some, some coverage through work for group life. Is that enough? What can we do within the benefits that Michigan state offers to get them more coverage if needed? Mm-hmm. And we can also talk about the pros and cons because you know, you can increase your coverage through your employer, but sometimes it makes sense to look at private outside options too. The beauty of working with MSU folks is the benefits are so strong at Michigan State that, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can we can check a lot of the boxes already by what's covered um, and at a pretty minimal cost. But like you said, there's some things that we need to think of around do you have enough coverage and does it make sense to use the benefits you have available? Are we going to need more than what they offer? Or does it make more sense to have a policy that's not tied to work? And so there's some things to think through there that's mm-hmm. going to be different for everybody. But you're right, they're kind of in this phase where they need less insurance than what they probably did 10 years ago. It's kind of on the downswing, but they're still probably going to want some life insurance coverage going into, you know, with the kids getting to that point where they're through college and also each other. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the disability policies, the 
personal liability policies, all important stuff to kind of make sure that you understand what the risks are and making sure that you have secured enough coverage based on what your long-term goals are. And recognize that's going to change here over the next few years as the kids get out of high school, get out of the nest, start spending those college funds as they were intended and, uh, you know, get, get launched in life. But then the parents insurance need really evolves as that goes on. So for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'd really want to talk to John about his goal for paying the mortgage off before retirement, especially since they've got an extremely low rate locked in and they've got some immediate needs, right? They may, we may need to redirect some of that extra income rather than to the mortgage, it might make sense to look at the 529 plans. You know, if if uh, their son's going to be starting college in three years, then, you know, that may have to be more of a priority in the short run, mm-hmm. depending on how those values and goals conversations work out. Yeah. I mean, there's a big chunk of, you know, compared to the, you know, they're paying what about 1200 extra a month on the mortgage. Yeah, was- and so you know, Basically at, doubling up their twelve fifty required. Yeah, and at three percent, is that worth it long term? What does right. that mean? What does that look like? Another thing, and kind of as this relates to college funding, that sometimes people forget is you don't always have to have everything saved to pay for all four years of college. A lot of people will cash flow some of that, right. where the kids, you know, not eating, you're not filling up the pantry as much, and so you have some lower costs there, and you can, mm-hmm. you know pay a certain monthly amount or set aside a certain monthly amount that was going to food and things like that and extras where you don't have that anymore. So you could use that for tuition. Um, so it's not usually an all or none decision when it comes to funding college education, yes. just having it all saved versus being able to pay some of it ongoing. I think with, with this particular scenario, we really want to get at why, why it's important to the client to have the mortgage paid off. Is it a, is it just that that's what they've heard is a good practice or is it that a lot of times it's based on family history, right? Right. And, you know, did you, you know, if you had a, a grandparent who in retirement really struggled with cash flow and income and told you when you were 12 years old that you better not have any debt when you get to retirement, right. you know, yeah. that's, you know, where, where, so what, you know, what's driving that? And then I'd also want to look at, okay. You know, if that is really a strong goal of John's, you know, we're talking 25 or 20 years before he actually retires, most likely, right? Mm -hmm. He's 45 now when he comes to us and he's looking at retirement at 65. Well, to pay that mortgage off does require, you know, if it's a 30-year mortgage, you know, and he did it a couple of years ago, you know, they're going to have seven plus or minus years left over when he hits retirement if they just make their normal payments. Right. But doubling up their payments may not be necessary. Yeah. So, you know, we could run an amortization table and we could actually look at, okay, what happens if for the next five or six years while the kids are getting ready to go to college and in college, you know, map that out as, hey, maybe we're just making our normal payments on the mortgage. But then once they are no longer on the payroll, so to speak, you know, then you turn around and, and hit the mortgage harder. I still would try to, 
discuss with them the pros and cons of paying off a 3% mortgage early versus investing that money over the long run. But we've got to recognize that a lot of that is psychology, right? Yeah. And that paying off a 3% debt may have more appeal to the client than investing money that may make 7 or 8%. There's no like... You know, there's no easy answer because there is a lot of psychology in there. But certainly how I would want to look at that, like you said, is what are the also what are the alternatives for that, you know, twelve hundred dollars a month, right? As mm-hmm. if we put it into your four oh three B plan, are we reducing your taxes right now? I mean, there's a lot of different ways to utilize that that I would want to know about and discuss as we discuss mm-hmm. how important it is to pay off the mortgage. Yeah. There's a lot of room to do some stuff with that extra money that potentially could put them in a much better place than where they're at yes. when, than having the mortgage paid off. So not right. that everybody has to, you know, not advocating for one way or the other, right? Like we're not advocating that everybody should have a mortgage in retirement, I'm not advocating that everybody should have it paid off, but right. you certainly should look at the different options and how that affects outcomes. Right. Well, and, and just, you know, to, not to put too fine a point on it, but a mortgage that was done in 2020 at 3% and a mortgage that's done in 2023 at 6.5%, those conversations can look very different. Yeah. So, you know, just even even if the client psychology is the same, the time frame mm-hmm. and the you know, what the market is doing in the meantime makes a difference too. So lots to, sure. lots to talk about there. And the point of this scenario was just to kind of raise the issues, not necessarily, you know, solve them all because we'd have to write up a full psychological workup of John and Jane to, <laughs> to really, you know, <laughs> pretend that this is a cut and dry scenario. But uh, then, you know, along those lines too, one of the things we tackle along the way is figuring out their risk tolerance, how they feel about their portfolio and the markets. And we often say there's two components to that, right? There's risk tolerance and there's risk capacity. So we're figuring out what their risk capacity is as we're doing the planning. How much money do they need to make on their 403B? How much money, you know, what works to get the plan done? Do they need to be somewhat aggressive, moderate, conservative? What works for the plan? And then we try to meet in the middle based on what works in the plan and what John and Jane are comfortable with. Yeah. So it's definitely, you know, most people set up their 403Bs and then, you know, a lot of them don't look at it or don't change Mm -hmm. things. And so it's a great kind of time to come (laughs) together and talk about what that looks like, right? If you're in a, are you in a target? date fund? Have you selected your own funds? Yeah. How do we get there? And how does that match up with what your risk tolerance is and also what the plan dictates? Right. I would say, I would say people fall into two camps. There's those that set it up when they're 25 and never think about it again. And then there's those who obsess about it and yeah. change things all the time. There's no, right. there's no happy medium, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's definitely part of the planning process is then figuring out what their contributions need to be but also then how to invest those funds in the plan. And, you know, we've got the tools to help people figure out which funds to use in TIA or Fidelity, Mm -hmm. you know, within the Michigan State plan. And then last but not least on our approach here, Dave, we've uh, we've gone through this one several times. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. And it's part of why I saved it for last. But we also do tend to move it a little bit later in the planning process anyway, because usually it's drawn out over a couple months. We need to see where your money's going. And one of the concerns John and Jane had were that they make a lot of money, but never seem to have any money. Yep. So the only good way to figure that out is to sit down and do a budget and see where your money's going. Yeah, such an important part of the process for several different reasons. One, obviously, is we don't, you know, we want to figure out where the money's going and make mm-hmm. sure that, you know, are you just worried about money and that's why it always feels like it's gone or, or is it actually gone and we're not really tracking it close enough and there's things that we need to tighten up. And all of that also plays into what it looks like in retirement, right? Like all of the retirement projections are based on what kind of income that you're going to need. And Mm -hmm. so we need to know where you're at and how your spending is because that number may go up or down based on what we find when we start doing cash flow and what that looks like. Right, right. And it helps us also figure out how to, if there is excess, how to redeploy it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Within, within the other recommendations that we're making. So, yeah, we can't get away from uh, cash flow planning and budgeting. It is the, uh, the building blocks of a financial plan, right? It's, right. Uh, it's always in there somewhere. It's always important. It's not glamorous, but uh, it's always something that's got to be done. So with that, you know, after going through that approach, we should have a really good idea and we should be able to talk through each of these issues with John and Jane to make decisions on what's best for them. And then it's a matter of, you know, implementing a lot of that stuff. And then mm-hmm. Dave, as you're well aware, something's going to happen in six months or a year and things <laughs> are going to change and we're going to readjust some of those values and goals nope. and priorities. And Clients aren't allowed to change once we make the plan. <laughs> Pretty much That's etched right. in stone. That's right. That's my, my famous joke. I haven't, I haven't created a financial plan that came true yet. Right. <laughs> something's Eventually. always changing. Something's always going wonky and needing to be readjusted, sometimes for really good reasons, sometimes mm-hmm. for not great reasons. Um, but that's an important part is the sooner we can identify those changes and come up with a game plan, the better off you are, the more likely you are to be successful as that stuff kind of comes in and, and, and happens. So always an important reminder that this is just the beginning of the work. Um, it's laying the groundwork and then everything that happens from here on out is how we adjust to that. So I think we've covered everything for our uh, made up professors here. Yeah. The only, the only thing for next time is I think we have to get more creative with the names. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's my fault. That's my fault. No worries. All right. So with that, if our listeners have questions or other topics they'd like to hear, hear, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at srbadvisors.com. Dave, this has been a great exercise. I enjoyed it and looking forward to the next one. Sounds good, Nick. Thank you. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.